0: Welcome to the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution. Listen to interviews with the most influential people in the insurance industry.
1: Learn the most important strategies, tactics, trends, and challenges facing today's independent insurance agents and brokers. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit agencyrevolution.com and click Media to explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers. Subscribe today and get updates delivered right to your inbox. And now, without further delay, the Connected Insurance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Janz, co-founder of Agency Revolution, delighted to be your podcast host today for the Connected Insurance Podcast, presented by Agency Revolution, creators of the most powerful marketing and communication software built specifically to meet the needs of insurance agencies and brokerages. If you believe that the relationship you have with your clients is the heart of your business, and I strongly suspect that you do, then if you haven't done it lately, you need to see how Agency Revolution can make those relationships stronger and longer. Visit agencyrevolution.com to receive a free demo of their award-winning software today. Um, I'm delighted to invite you to participate in this conversation. I loved this conversation with our guest, Tony Caldwell. Tony is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of OAA, which is, um, I I believe, the largest or one of the largest regional uh, property and casualty insurance networks in, uh, in, um, in the United States, it is, uh, I'm quite certain, the largest um, master agency in the SIAA network. Tony is um, uh, the also the managing partner of the uh, Oklahoma Business Insurers. He is um, a, a best-selling author of um, The Uncaptive Agent, which you can find on Amazon and I'll highly recommend. And he just delivered uh, an outstanding conversation that shows not only um, his insight on major strategic trends that today's independent insurance agency must pay attention to, but he also reveals uh, tactical applications on how to respond to those trends. So I love this conversation. I'm predicting you're going to love this conversation, uh, before I bring you into it very quickly, of course, if you haven't, please connect with me on LinkedIn. follow agency revolution uh, Re- agency revolution on LinkedIn. Um, if we've earned five stars in your heart, then if you'd be kind enough to give us a five star review, I'd be so grateful for that. Um, and uh, also uh, reminder inform you that uh, my latest training is available at no charge. You can register at www.michaeljanslive.com. And uh, so now, really, without further ado, I will uh, bring you into this conversation with Tony Caldwell. Again, uh, listen carefully. He's got a, a seat in the industry that gives him a tremendous breadth and overview on how the industry is changing and the forces that are changing it but uh, also really provides in this conversation a very practical action plan for success. So without further ado, it's my great privilege and honor to introduce you to this conversation with Tony Caldwell. Tony Caldwell, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm terrific. Thanks uh, for having me. Okay. Well, I'm delighted to have you here and also delighted to reconnect with you after how many years?
0: Gosh, it's got to be 20 years. Okay.
1: Tw- tw- so 20 years ago, right? Um, yeah. So for those who perhaps don't know you as well as, as, as I do, because we've gotten a chance to reconnect again, um, who's Tony Caldwell and what is it that you do?
0: Well, I'm in Oklahoma City, and I'm a commercial insurance agency owner in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma Business Insurers, been in that business for uh, moving on three decades. I'm also the CEO of One Agents Alliance. We're an SIAA master agency, have about 195 affiliated agencies in five states. And uh, we're in the business of helping people grow their their revenue, income, and value uh, regardless of what they're, you know, where they're coming from and what they're doing. So we've actually, over the last uh, 15 years or so, started 250 agencies from scratch as we do that.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, So, and and by the way, I think uh, you you and I, we had a professional relationship 20 years ago.
0: That's right. As Uh, I recall, right? I, I was a member of Insurance Profit Systems. And, and you gave uh, you gave me some incredibly good advice uh, 20 some odd years ago that's been really meaningful to us. So I thank you again for that.
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, back, back then, um, oh, you know, I don't know how else to put this without offending Michael Jans. I was pretending to give good advice back then. <laughs> but, well, but, I, but you but know, I,
0: one, of the, one yeah. of the things you really got me to focus on, and it's as relevant today as it ever was, which is... Uh, what's the lifetime value of a relationship? And I think, uh, you know, as we teach business management skills to our members, that's one of the things we still key in on because, you know, you talk about strategy and tactics and how they work together. If you strategically focus on maximizing the value of a client uh, and thinking about how long that relationship lasts, and I've got clients now that I've had for 25 years, You know, your investment up front uh, and your thinking about that really changes. And so it's a great piece of strategic advice you gave me.
1: Uh, Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that it it stuck with you 20 years later. So that's marvelous. And that is uh, in my work with agencies and a That is clearly a focus is what I consider to be the holy grail of insurance marketing is maximum customer lifetime value. Because most people get so excited about sales and, you know, like ring the bell because they got a new customer. Um, but they downloaded a renewal from a customer last night that had been with them 13 years and nobody gets excited about it. Well, that's the exciting stuff, right? So yeah. Think, yeah. think about the value of the customer that's been with you 13 years versus that new guy, right? Well, you don't break even on that new guy for a while, but you're you're, you're definitely in the money on that uh, book of business. And, and I think it just gets, it's so, um, oh, perhaps it, uh, taken for granted that it's overlooked how much more value we can not just extract from our customers, but how much more value we can give to those customers.
0: Well, not only that, but it, you know, uh, the, the, when you focus on that, you sell your customers more insurance. You know, the average insurance agency, independent agency, only sells like one point three to one point six policies per uh, client on average. The average uh, captive agent does four or five. Why? Because they have to. But if, if an independent agencies took that approach, then their retention would go up and they uh, you know, obviously the revenue that they're getting off of every account would go up and they wouldn't have to focus so hard on new business generation. You know, one of the things that um, I think insurance carriers have have really influenced this actually over the last decade or so is, is they've increasingly focused uh, their attention on new business. I mean, they care about retention and they, they do talk about that. Um, but they really want agents to write new business and so and, and PIF count and things like that. And so they're helping agencies to focus on that. Unfortunately, a lot of agents get stuck in this idea that I've got to get a new customer. Well, you don't have to do that. You just have to get a new policy from the same customer you've already got. You're already part of the way there.
1: Um, we're diving into a juicy conversation I thought was going to come a little bit later, Tony, but this uh, it doesn't surprise me talking to you. Uh, you you said something and I, it's because I know you know a lot about um, the captive um, channel and how it um, how, well how it's changing and how it's influencing the independent channel and how it's different than the independent channel so y- you had said that the uh, average independent agency has uh, by your estimation 1.3 to 1.6 policies per customer and uh, captives more likely to have four or five uh, the Well, the difference is, that difference is stunning. Uh, Talk to us us a little bit about that.
0: Well, it is, and it doesn't necessarily double the revenue, but think about it. If you're in the personal insurance business and you sell a home and auto, or or maybe you're a commercial agent, I mean, an independent agent, and you're just selling the autos and not the home. And so now you've added the home. Well, so now you've got two policies. So you're beating the average. But but the uh, the captive agent goes on to sell an umbrella. Then they sell the toys. They, they don't they don't turn their nose up at life insurance, which most uh, people in my experience in the independent channel would rather not touch with a ten foot pole. And so uh, you know the benefit to those agents that do that though of course is more revenue, more longevity, uh, and they keep anybody from getting in there and selling part of that account and taking it away from them. So it's really hard for me to understand why we don't focus more on that. If you did, what happens is that those incremental policies, almost all that revenue falls to the bottom line because all the costs of servicing the customer are already there. And so one Mm -hmm. of the challenges that we've got facing us in the business is an increasing cost pressure. Uh, Both carriers have that and agencies have it as well. One of the ways to lick that cost pressure is to sell more policies Uh, to the same customer because it lowers your per unit expense.
1: I'll cite a study that was performed by Bain and Company. I think it was in the 90s. It was for one of the captives. So uh, they had um, tremendous volume. So whether the numbers, you know, tweak a little bit over the years or tweak a little bit from the captive to the independent is almost irrelevant because the principle is so solid. And what they discovered was that, uh, if they sold a uh, one a single policy to a customer, uh, the the ten year retention was ten percent, which is not bad. I mean, you know that's somewhere around roughly ninety percent per year, but your your uh, attrition is eating away ten percent year after year after year. So ten years later, out of a hundred customers, you have ten. Right. But if they sold two policies instead of having ten out of hundred, they'd have thirty eight out of a hundred. Well, that's almost a fourfold increase in. Ten-year retention with one additional policy, but and this uh, circles back to something you said. If they sold three policies, the ten-year retention was ninety percent. Well, right. that's uh, that's just such a such an astonishing piece of information. It's it, it's almost as if like uh, you know it's like um, you, when you hear that you you simply say strategically that's what I'm going to pay attention to right there now. Um, so so we've already established the fact that uh, increased policy per customer count also increases retention okay automatically um but what's interesting is that I think in the model that we were talking about the one that Bain studied uh, largely it was uh, auto and then home and then life right, right. now right. i so tony um <clears throat> this goes back over 25 years maybe closer to 30 I'm scared to look. Uh, and I was running, perhaps, I was facilitating uh, perhaps my first meeting of uh, the uh, board of directors of one of the PIA affiliates that I was in charge of. And and, and I overheard this conversation where one of the agency principals said, I hate life. And first, I, that really got my attention. I thought, oh my God, that's, you know. And then I realized that she was saying, I hate life insurance. And then everybody around the table was saying, Like nodding their heads, like, yeah, I hate life insurance. You know, let's just stick with PNC. Um, It didn't mean much to me 25, 30 years ago, but it certainly came to mean a lot to me over the years. Um, Well, particularly in light of the study that was done by Bain, but also in light of all of the evidence of the power of additional policies. But sometimes there's something also magical about the life policy. That uh, establishes, because we're talking about health and we're talking about income and, uh, you know, it establishes a certain level of trust and intimacy that people, you know, like once they survive that experience and get on the other side of it, there's a high level of trust because they got right. through it.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned you mentioned intimacy and, and you and I have talked about this. I mean, the, the future of the independent agency is in really strong relationships because uh, the, the people who are going to sell, you know, based on price, aren't going to survive the algorithms and electronic and online and all kinds of other people are going to beat them at that, but the agent can win with relationship. And there is no better way to develop a relationship, as you mentioned, other than getting intimate. And you're exactly right. When you talk about somebody's life insurance, you're really talking because you're asking, you know, what, what's the money for? What's it needed for? Um, whether it's a business or an individual conversation, you're really getting past all of the stuff that people put up as barriers and having to deal with the truth. And when someone shares that with you, uh, (laughs) you build a relationship that doesn't go away very easily. They don't want to do that with very many people. Okay, so the resistance...
1: The resistance to life insurance. Um, what do you think is going on there? Is it just? Uh, my experience has been that PNC agents generally just really identify strongly as PNC agents, and I don't know. What do you? What, what do you think? Uh, like internally, why? Why are there fewer systems to you know, process I, I start, life insurance inside the PNC shop?
0: I started my career as a life insurance agent right out of college, and you know people would ask you at a, at a party, what do you do? I'm in the life insurance business. And immediately they want to go, you know, get some, uh, refresh their drink, buy, get some chips or talk to somebody else. And there's a, you know, people don't really like to talk about that stuff. And so agents uh, feel uncomfortable. And, and I understand that. But in the ordinary course of running a PNC agency, I think you have to make two decisions. The first is, You know, are you going to run your business based on how you feel or based on what makes good business sense? And there's no question (laughs) that selling life insurance is tactically and strategically a really good idea, especially going into the future. Secondly, um, you know, if you don't want to do it yourself, there's all kinds of people who will do it for you and pay you, you know, a big chunk of the commission. One thing, though, back to, you know, my experience, uh, you know, going to a Sunday school party when I was 22 years old is you have to find the appropriate time to talk about it and here's what i'd say is there's never been a more appropriate and more interesting time for almost every human being on the face of the earth to talk about life insurance than the last year when everyone's mortality was somewhat in question and i think that window of real sensitivity on the part mm-hmm. of most people yeah. is going to last another year or two so mm-hmm. so really the agent has to think about hey you know I need to respond to the not only the needs but the concerns of my clients, and trust me, uh, clients have a need and a concern right now about life insurance.
1: Um, yeah I'll pull out one more story about this and then uh, we could move on to the next topic, but this also goes back like twenty five thirty years. This was the first um, keynote speaker for the first convention that I was responsible for when I uh, was the uh, exec for the PIA. We hired Cosmo Conti, who was the uh, at that point the largest or fastest growing <clears throat> um, agent for uh, State Farm, and we brought him out. And he was—I mean, everybody kind of you know knew him by reputation, wanted to know how do you do what you do, how do you grow so fast. And, uh, and I still recall his presentation really got everybody's attention. And his model was uh, that after <clears throat> um, the couple generally uh, um, came in and they came to the office. Oh, so that was part of the model back in those days. Come to the office and then the customer service rep would sell them uh, home and auto. And then at the end of the home and auto sale, uh, it, there would be a little conversation. It was really well scripted. Uh, be, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Caldwell, um, just hang on for a moment. Just wait right here for a moment. They disappear, go to the back of the office and they come back and they say, well, you're very lucky because Mr. Conti is available right now and he wants to be able to meet you. Right. So then you get ushered back to Mr. Conti's office and you, you wouldn't be able to leave until you bought a life insurance policy because he knew how to do it. Right. I mean, they right. had a home. And so they, you know, and they were married. And so uh, obviously she or he had to be taken care of uh, in case he or she passed away. Right. And so uh, and so the, they, they had a regular process for selling a life policy in an ethical way because, you know, a young huh. couple probably needed it. And, uh, and and I recall that after that conversation, I mean, I was like, my ears were wide open. I was learning, you know, looking at like, what can I learn about what makes this industry work? And I was listening also to like my own members, like some of them like, oh no, we could never do that. You know, grumble, grumble, grumble. So I thought, okay, I got introduced right away to the resistance that the PNC agency has to having a, um, well, just a successful internal life process. Right. So, <laughs> all right. So here, here we are, 25 or 30 years later, and we're still telling the same stories.
0: Yep. Some okay. things just don't change.
1: Yep. Uh, some things don't change. But that being said, um, some things do change. And I know you're quite aware. Uh, so you're in a position where, right? You've got close to 200 agencies that are in your network and um what about 9095 million dollars in revenue floating through that model and you've got your own agency as well and right. and you know i mean yes maybe i gave you really good advice 20 years ago um and that advice probably still stands about customer lifetime value but the the world around you consumer expectations the rise of the millennial generation new technologies um Changes in the captive system, um, you know, venture capital and insure techs. I mean, this is a fast changing world. So let's spend a moment on that. Uh, from, your, from your seat in the industry, okay. what do you see as the, the major trends and forces that today's agency principal or marketer really needs to pay attention
0: to? Well, you know, I think the first thing to understand is that insurance agencies have never been more valuable than they are today. And um, and you see this unprecedented level of acquisitions, mergers activity going on. In fact, uh, there was more in 2020 despite the pandemic than any other year in the past. And, and the deals they're setting up for this year are going to eclipse last year. What that's doing is a couple of interesting things. One is it's, it's making the bigger players more competitive and, and also more aggressive. Because, and they're going to be in the back pockets of more and more agencies in the future. So that's something that every agency owner has to think about.
1: When you um, say bigger players, you, you mean the, the bigger agencies?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. bigger agencies, because they've got tons of capital and they're investing in, ah. in things like uh, you know, real sophisticated data analytics uh, and sales systems, and they can offer every product that everybody wants, and they bring, bring big teams to the table uh, to impress smaller and smaller accounts. And so what this means to the average independent agency, you know, Main Street America is, competition's increasing, and also now, with the advent of Zoom and the other things that are really making geography irrelevant to aggressive players, it means that people who don't uh, live or work or have an office in your town are now going to be competing with you for your accounts. And so so the agencies are getting more valuable, but that's also driving this uh, corollary issue, which is they're getting more competitive, those that are getting bigger. So, th- so the typical independent agent owner has got to think about this. He's got to think, okay, competition's increasing. Uh, what do I do about that? Well, there's two or three things. Tactically, this is a great time to sell if you're ready for that. And if you Aren't ready for it this year, or maybe next year, or the year after. This is the time to get ready. If, on the other hand, uh, you're interested in sticking it out and, and continuing to be successful and building your business, you've got to look at the resources that those big agencies are bringing into commonplace, uh, uh, you know, in the business. Not to mention what people just generally expect, because you're really competing now with Amazon in terms of client expectation. And so the issue is, all right, how do I adapt my business to both compete with an increasing level of sophistication on the one hand, and at the same time, uh, really focusing increasingly on making sure that the client experience is, is getting better. And those are the two issues, I think, in you know, broad terms that agency owners have got to think about.
1: All right. Uh, Take action.
0: Uh, uh, let me
1: drill in. Let me ask a, a maybe difficult question. Um, we have uh, so when you talk about larger players, uh, so one way to look at that would be these the private equity uh, firms that kind of have a mega agency, right? So mm-hmm. you know, on, on one hand, it might look like there are two or three or four hundred agencies that are operating independently under their umbrella, but they do have common ownership and some common strategic guidance and some leadership at the top. Um, now, and that being said, one, one would assume that they would deploy resources that would make them more competitive in the marketplace. Uh, however, that being said, uh, number one, um, and, and I'm open to take, uh, you know, inbound calls from private equity owned firms about this. Um, and and I'm open to criticism about it because I'd like to see change here. I, I haven't seen... A lot of um oh you know just really innovative creative or aggressive um oh strategic or tactical efforts from from those firms like I had expected, and I think the focus may be on acquisition and roll ups right as opposed to um you know like strategic innovation so, uh, so so yeah that that is a that's a question it's like have you seen uh, these mega agencies really step forward with an industry-changing strategy?
0: I think that it's it's like, a, you know, um, if you think about what goes from deceptive to disruptive, uh, if you think about that curve, uh, you know, the knee of the, the curve is when things really take off. But but for a long time before you get to that upward path, things have doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling it, sort of deceptively. And yep. so I, I think what you're seeing, these these larger organizations now have the capability of doing, because they have the capital to do it, is to really build better and better data analytics and, de- and uh, data systems that are going to help them from a marketing standpoint, number one. N- number two, uh, they are building cooperative systems where they can share the human knowledge and human expertise that they have across a bigger system and bringing that to bear on on uh, ordinary accounts. And it's interesting to talk to people who have sold to one of those organizations. We we had a member last year that sold to one, uh, and they were a very sophisticated agency, about five million in revenue built over five years, uh, uh-huh. tremendous tremendous exit, yeah. very very smart guys, some of the smartest insurance guys I've ever worked with. And they were blown away by some of the things that were being brought to the table by their new partner. Okay, which, which meant that they really what they were excited about not only were they taking some money off the table, but they believed that their growth would actually, which was tremendous, uh, would actually accelerate with the new with the new tools they were getting. Um, so I think what I would say is you may not be getting blown away by this yet, but it's it's happening and and it's and it's going to become disruptive uh, over the next few years. Um, and, and so if agencies that don't want to play that game, want to compete, they need to understand that the, you know, we're not at this, this gigantic upward trend yet, but it's going Mm -hmm. to come. And so you need to get ready for it. You know, one of the things we talk to agencies a lot about is okay, digital going digital. Um, and it scares most people because they go, I don't know how to do it. Um, you know, I don't know what to do, all that kind of thing. And what I would say is and my friend, Matt Masiello, your friend, uh, wrote a book on this this summer, which was, uh, is really good. How to go about digitizing your agency. And, and he makes the point, you know, that, well, okay. Come up with the things three, four, five, six, whatever it is that you believe you need to do over a given period of time and do the first one, you know, get in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, uh, again, that's what, uh, smart business people are going to do and a few years from now those who weren't so smart are going to wake up and hope they can catch up
1: yeah okay uh yeah well so uh, so, so i'm going to echo exactly what you said um and let me recap this and see if we're along the same lines okay. um so i had said i haven't seen the the tremendous uh, innovative creativity yet from the private equity owned firms uh, and maybe I'm missing it. Right. I mean, I've got clients who are involved, um, but I also have uh, on um, uh, a good account. I won't name names, but from the M&A world, uh, who's in touch with one or more of the private equity firms that at least one said they had negative organic growth last year. And and I thought, wow, it's right? so like, you know, that that's kind of exactly the opposite of what's supposed to happen in that model. Uh, however, that being said, I also know that they're investing in internal capabilities that are really quite intriguing, and I think they do have promise. And so... Um, yeah, and, and
0: you know negative organic growth, well, first of all, um, organic growth in general was a challenge for many agencies in, in 2020, uh, given the you know, really unprecedented way in which we had to deal with clients and the difficulties of prospecting for new business and things like that. So I don't think 2020 is a fair example. Uh, But uh, it is true that, you know, you have some larger stock market agencies that have made a practice for decades now of arbitraging their stock. I mean, they sell it at a multiple of 15 or 20 and they buy for eight or 10 and they make money in the middle and they don't really give a crap about uh organic growth and so but i don't think you're seeing that out of the financial pe guys i mean they know that to pay off you know they want a three to five year exit typically right they want it to be a really big exit and so Mm -hmm. the only way you're going to get that is to grow organically so they're really focused on it but one other thing though just to come back to data and and the importance of that and and what they're focusing on is you know story in a in a article yesterday we were talking about before the show uh, about Strategic Insurance Agents Alliance, uh, of which I'm a part, $9.6 billion total book of business, uh, maybe be uh, selling. What the article said was intriguing was that one of the things that the investment community was really intrigued about was the data that an organization like SIAA has and what they could do with it. And so uh, that's going to be this data and this ability to manipulate it, parse it, slice and dice it, and make use of it from a marketing and selling perspective, um, you know, is going to be the thing that drives this. I mean, I guarantee you these uh, PE backed firms are not going to accept one and a half policies per customer, you know, and they're not going to overpay producers and they're not going to refuse to use uh, cost saving measures like, uh, like service centers that most smaller agencies turn their noses up at, and they're not going to refuse to, to, uh, provide every possible customer self-service option that's possible. They're not going to do any of those things. They're going to do all of those things because they've got to drive their cost of doing business down to increase their margins, to pay back their investment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're not, owned by one of those groups, you know, you just want to be in business the next 20 years and have a great uh, business. It's important to look at all that stuff and go, okay, how does this apply to my business? And what do I need to be doing now? Because um, you can't out, you know, if if the big guys are cutting costs and you're not cutting costs over time, you lose competitive ability. You lose your ability to hire the best people, which is what this industry thrives on. You lose the ability to keep up with technology from an expense perspective. And you lose the interest of the best insurance companies who are telling me today that in addition to a large book of business, well managed with controlled loss ratios and good new business growth, that one of the other things they're increasingly looking at in appointments and managing appointments of agents is how well are you uh, using our technology that we're providing? How well are you interfacing with it? But also, what are you doing from a technology perspective? And so um, part of the paradigm with insurance companies is also changing around this whole idea of, of data, technology, and the increasing uh, standard, if you will, or bar that's being set by some of the larger organizations.
1: Okay. <clears throat> that That's a good segue to... Taking a look at what the future really does look like for the independent insurance agent. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I, one of the things that you and I have spoken about in the past is kind of this hollowing out of that middle, you know, so if, if the private equity firms are buying the, oh, you know, let's call it the middle of the donut, you know, not the super bigs, but not the right. teeny weenies. They're You know, they're looking for the well-established Main Street agency or the, you know, the agency with some millions of dollars of of uh annual revenue one and up um and uh uh, uh so so what do you think that ends up looking like Where, what does that what does that mean for the industry going forward
0: well today we probably have about thirty five thousand independent agencies in the country um, right some people say it's a tad more tad less I th- I've talked to a lot of people who believe that over the next five or six years, that may decrease to as many as you know, 25,000, 26,000. That's a very significant uh, right. decrease in the number of agencies. So, and that's obviously due to the combination pressure of mergers and acquisitions. One other trend, though, that continues and has for the last decade is the creation of new agencies.
1: <laughs> that is so, so true. Right. Yeah.
0: For organizations like mine I have a specialty. And as I said, you know, we've helped a lot of people get into business over the years to do what, you know, 25 years ago was impossible. So they're adding, there's been six or eight, 9,000 new agencies created in that last 10 years. Um the, the problem is that um, for an insurance carrier, the new agencies take a really long time to have the impact on their business that the big boys can generate pretty quickly. Right. And so, and so one of the things that, that, that there's an implication there for smaller agencies, which is that size has always mattered. I mean, 25 years ago, you had to have a certain amount of size to just get a contract to sell something. Uh, today, you can go to an aggregator and get a contract. But to have relevance, size still really does matter. And so, uh, what I think one of the implications of this narrowing of the number of member uh, of agencies in the industry, but with a really big group at the top selling a huge amount of the of the business, uh, a small group mm-hmm. at the bottom struggling to get started, and people in the middle trying to figure out what to do. Uh, size matters, and I and I. Fifty six percent of all agencies now belong to some sort of group where they cluster together on some basis for, for protection. Unprecedented number. My, my guess is that uh, if you take out the big guys, that leaves maybe twenty five percent of the industry that's not in a group like that. I mm-hmm. think in five years that number will be five percent. I mean, I think the, the the aggregator model, market access model, with a lot with the Resources that the big people bring to bear, Light. so the data and analytics, the sophisticated marketing systems, uh, the uh, really good uh, human resource and human capital attraction systems, plus having uh, you know good compensation on an industry contract. Those, that's going to be necessary uh, for many main street agencies, um, you know, going forward. And so. I think that means there's going to be a lot of turmoil uh, around, you know, who do I belong to? And is that the best group to be with? And and there's going to be a shakeout in that industry because people are going to demand and expect more than just the ability to sell for a company.
1: Okay. Um, so <clears throat> that that being said, what do you think today's agency principle needs to do in order to be successful moving forward for, you know, let's say from now for three years. Okay. What, what, what behaviors do they need to execute in their agency to be a winner?
0: I think the very first thing I'd always advise anybody to do is line their financial statements up. You know, know, my dad used to say, "If, if you don't, you have to be honest with yourself and look at where you are. And so he was very insistent on looking at where every penny was. And so, you know, get a really good set of financials if you don't have them and then line them up against a benchmarking study and ask yourself line by line, where am I not doing as well as my colleagues and fix the problem? What, you know, the lion's share of the expense in our business is with people. And so, you know, you simply can't afford three years from now to have more service people than your book justifies. And you can't afford to pay producers 10, 15, 20 percent more than your competitors are paying because you need the bottom line in the agency uh, so that you have money to invest in the technology that you're going to need to buy, the marketing that you're going to need to do, the services that you're going to need to acquire to provide the um, to provide the customer experience your customers are gonna increasingly demand from you. So the very first thing is to get really ruthless with yourself, with your financial statements, with your business. Make yourself you know, at the upper quartile of profitability and then decide what you're gonna spend that profit on or what you're gonna invest that profit in in terms of growing your business. That's the first step.
1: Okay, so uh, get your financial house in order. Um, and not just in understanding, but actually uh, y- using available benchmarks to get yourself up into the top twenty-five percent, and then make wise strategic decisions about marketing and investing in growth. Right? Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and, and I if- think you you have a bias, as, as I, I think from uh, my conversations with you, for uh, the good or masterful use of technology and effective use of data. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, so
0: so so most smaller agencies and even many, you know, uh, uh, middle-sized, when you talk to the people that run EasyLinks, uh, Vertifor, uh, Applied Systems, and I have and I do, Yeah. Uh, and you ask them, okay, well, how, what, what percentage of your customers really use the capabilities that you've given them in their <laughs> management system? Yeah. Well, they they do what you just did. They laugh. Okay, right. <laughs> well, uh, I
1: know because because I used to. Yeah. Uh, I was the founder and former CEO of a technology
0: company. I... Yeah. So, so don't buy any more technology till you learn to use the technology you've already got. Okay. That'd be step two. Right.
1: Master uh, the technologies you've got. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, you know exactly. So, um, and then I think the third thing is to to look at what what people really want, uh, you know, from an agent uh, in the future. So again, relationship uh, is yeah. most important, okay? Technology, so how does technology or, you know, how do you foster the relationship, whether it's through technology or shoe leather, it doesn't matter, but how do you build and foster that relationship, number one? But number two, the other thing they want is they want to do business when they want to do business. And so for most people, that's going to be nine to five, but for many others, it's not. So how do you make sure they can have you when they want, them, want you? And and I think the standard, um, you know, banks have been operating seven days a week for twenty five years, and they're not exactly uh, cutting edge organizations. I know I am the chairman of the board of a bank. It's it's pretty hidebound, uh, but uh, you know how do you how do you solve that that problem? And there is a lot of different ways to do it, but I think you've got to to do it. I mean, remember. Every business, I don't care what business you're in, but particularly for us, we're competing with Amazon. People get it right now, right when they want it. And, and, and you have to think about that and build for it. So those are the three things I think you do first. Okay.
1: Um, my sense, Tony, is you're pretty bullish on this industry. So oh, let, yeah. me, let me just toss yeah. a couple of questions at you. <clears throat> sure. Um, market share. Uh, in personal lines, grow or shrink? What, what, what do you, what's your projection of the future trend?
0: You know, I, I, think best case is probably flat, um, in the next five years. Best very, case flat. Okay. Yeah. Because not because the, the direct riders are going to get it back. We, we've been gaining market share against them for 30 years. Right. But the direct, the direct sellers uh, yeah. are the guys. They're the big gorillas in the room and, and their capabilities are increasing uh-huh. So, so uh, yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet the whole farm on growing personal lines.
1: Okay, um, fair enough. Uh, but uh, but but I think like a, a number of, uh, of of guests that have asked this question to recently, you don't see that going away, right? In other, no. So in other words, I I think you would agree. I'm going to look for your response on this one, that um, that there is a sizable and um, lucrative demographic that's available to the independent agency system and that we serve that demographic better than other channels do.
0: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. Fair enough. Okay. Let me just say this, though. I think the question is, um, you know, is how much of that marketplace can you access? And my point is that competition is increasing, and so you've got to be better in the future to keep the market share you've got plus grow it.
1: Uh, Let's talk about the competitive channels. So so two quick questions. Um, One, captive channel. Let's start with that one.
0: Well, I don't know that the captive, uh, and I'm I'm not necessarily thinking even that the independent agents got to be concerned about competing with the captive channel, although they always will. I just think that the the better independents are going to become more competitive and put pressure on in, it's going to be tougher to be a mediocre business owner, a mediocre insurance uh, agency <laughs> owner, and be successful five years from now than it is today. So, you know, I have a friend who is a he's a senior executive for for a, for a big national insurance company, and we were at a uh, we were at a cocktail party a few years ago, and we he, he just looked at me and he said, you know, I'm gonna when I retire, I'm gonna become an independent agency owner, and it was like you needed the drumbeat, Da-dum, you know, because it was a joke, right? I mean. But the truth is that a lot of guys got in this business. They worked really hard for five or ten years, and they've been retired in place for twenty. Yeah, that's going to be harder to do.
1: Ah, okay. Um, now about that captive channel, they've, it's been yeah. under some pressure. Uh, market share is diminished for them. Uh, do you see that trend? And and of course, we've seen one or more eliminate their captive or their their uh, agency channel altogether. Uh, or the captive part of their agency channel altogether. Um, Do you see that trend continuing? Do you see the captive channel continuing under pressure?
0: I do. Um, Okay. You know, they, if you, if you look at what they have to pay agents and then what they have to pay the, uh, all the managers for those agents and then all the marketing expenses that they have, and you compare that to what a, uh, uh, an independent carrier pays, which is you know, uh, 10 to 15% commissions, probably averaging 11 or 12, and a couple points of bonus, maybe or a point and a half of bonus. They're paying around 13 points. The the end the captive channels having to spend more than that to distribute the product, and so that's why they keep cutting commissions and cutting other things with uh, with their captive forces, and why they, you know, people like Nationwide are experimenting with getting rid of them. And why other organizations like Allstate and Compass are you know, aggressively embracing the, the independent agency channel. They're doing it to try to control their own costs, which are higher than an independent agency carrier company. So, so that's the first thing is they've got a problem. That then creates uh, a problem for agents. So that they look around and they go, OK, the grass is greener over on the independent agency side. I'm going to move over there and take market share with me. And so I think you will see in personal insurance market share continuing to erode for direct writing companies. Uh, it doesn't really affect anything other than maybe the very low end of commercial lines, but that's going to mm-hmm. continue to happen. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, second or next question, uh, the direct channel, uh, the mm-hmm. the direct sellers, say Geico, the Progressive Directs, et cetera. Right. Uh, their market share has been increasing. Do you see that continuing in that direction?
0: I think so. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be dramatic. I mean, it's been fairly dramatic over the last five or six years. It won't be as dramatic because they've already, you know, now they're. It's a diminishing returns game, but at the margins, it's going to it's going to affect everybody. Okay, and then
1: that let, let, let's um, let's talk about the digital channel, kind of as if it's a channel, but you know, the 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 insure techs who are uh, new and direct to consumer um, and full stack. So in other words, I'm talking about the insure techs that are insurance carriers. Uh, um, what do you see happening with that? I mean, that's, that's, it's an emerging channel, uh, largely. And, um, you know, while some of it has, uh, passed its IPO, it's still, you know, sort of fledging little baby, but what, what, what do you think, um, the future of that channel, um, presents as a challenge to independent agents?
0: Well, I'm not aware of of any so-called tech carrier that yet has yet, you know, met all the tests of being real as a. I I mean, in other words. Yeah, no, I get it. We're
1: we're a long ways away from it, and even when you know the numbers kind of look big, but like compared to a real insurance company, they're not.
0: Um, I mean, you know, the investors would do better to just wheelbarrow the cash in the middle of the street and burn it, but. But, but but, but uh,
1: that's that is the nature of technology investing yeah. is that
0: so I, I think a long what,
1: runway required.
0: Yeah. I do think what you see though is is that is that really aggressive insurance companies are are buying those people or are trying yeah. to figure out how to, to bring their technologies in. I, I interviewed on my podcast recently an executive with a uh, company that does business in eight or nine states in the Northeast. Uh, that is able to give you a homeowner's quote with your address. Uh, and so, that, I mean, talk about speed of issue, right? And they're, they're finding that the model they've built behind that, they're very profitable. And so the, the point is, is that that's the, now the competitor for every insurance company in America. They've got to get to that place and get there quickly. Uh-huh. And no one's able to do that yet with very few exceptions. But that's where, the, that's where the game is for insurance companies. They've got to do that, first of all, to cut their cost. So they're purchasing so,
1: data. Presumably, they're they're uh, combining so, some private data they may get from. Well, it sounds yeah. like they just need the address. So yeah, so they're they're accessing yeah. publicly available data at some cost in That's order right. to deliver speed and and perhaps to cut some costs for. Right sales, the sales and, process. And so they're
0: giving their, what they're giving their agents is a, is a speed advantage against uh-huh. anybody that's trying to sell a different product. The agent still needs to be, you know, really skilled at the process of making sure they're selling the right product. Right. Um, but, you know, but that's the that's the thing that the carriers are, are, are dealing with. Plus, the carriers are also dealing with, you know, sort of relentless cost pressures. There's it, It's costing them more money to acquire and develop these technology systems. Uh, they, uh, you know, weather changes are creating a lot of issues and trying to model costs. And, you know, you just look at the, the commercial and personal auto market for the last five or six years and how bedeviling that's been to the industry. So there's a lot of cost issues that insurance companies are struggling with. Well, that impacts agents because eventually if they don't solve them, that has to impact agency compensation. Yeah. And, and, and I think it will, uh. And so I think over the next four or five years, we're going to see a continued erosion in agency compensation. And people, you know, uh, six, seven years ago, uh, independent agency carriers really started whacking away at commissions for personal passenger auto, uh, which is also a shrinking market. And, you know, people said, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's uh, 12 percent to 10 percent, as an example. That's the wrong way to look at the math. It was a 20 percent cut, not a 2% cut. And, you know, that's double the bottom line of the average independent agency in America who relies, uh, 60% of the revenue on personal passenger auto. It was a potentially devastating cut with a small number. And so those are things that I think, uh, carriers are looking at and agencies have got to be ready to respond to, which comes back to, you got to be a better business person.
1: All right. (laughs) Um, Well, you won't find any argument from me on that one. I have one last related question. Commercial lines, future commercial lines. What does it look like?
0: Well, I think the big get bigger, um, and I think that's obvious, uh, and they're going to take an increasing market share in commercial lines. So um, for years, many people in the personal insurance business thought that small commercial was going to be their salvation. I never believed that because if you look to Europe and you see how highly automated uh, small commercial is, You know, I I think there's actually going to be a threat, a a threat to some degree on the bottom end of of commercial lines from the direct sellers because they're going to automate a lot of it. So, um, so, but, but here's the big opportunity for agents. Uh, and, and I think COVID has really unleashed this. I mean, I've been on Zoom for five years, but there wasn't anybody to talk to. Now everybody can talk to you. So, <laughs>
1: the lonely like,
0: Tony. <laughs> so, well, I mean, uh, it's the it's truth. The point is that I think agencies that focus on on niching deep, more deeply, in other words, getting better and better at, at a smaller and smaller segment of the market, but broadening their marketing reach are the ones that are going to win in commercial lines in the next five years?
1: Uh, that's a writer downer. There, getting better and better at smaller and smaller, but expanding reach. Uh, yep. That that one, uh, that's it. Let's just go. That's that. You you said you really summed it up really quite well there. Okay. Yeah. So expertise, specialty, authority, in uh, it was smaller. Um, is such, I, presumably such that you have an intimacy, a knowledge, um, an understanding of the niche. And then the third part of your equation is, is, uh, now that you're smaller, don't just get smaller, get bigger. Right. So, expect, right. and, and so now, just like you'd said earlier, uh, every independent, every local agent can now expect other previously not local agents to muscle into their market because technology allows them to do that this is the answer right here okay yep. got it all right yep. that was that was a a, a beautiful three-part formula um, Tony I have one last question for you you've got a pretty good soapbox of your own but if you were gonna hop on my soapbox and deliver a message to the industry uh, that was kind of a wake-up call uh, or a message you think was just it, that you think is is deeply important to the independent agency sector and to the principals and the leaders of the independent agency system. Um, what is it that you wanna say?
0: You know, we've got a beautiful business. Uh, we really help people. Uh, we're we're the linchpins of the community that we live in, and we are going to thrive and prosper in the future, but it's an open question as to who the thrivers and prosperers will be. And so uh, if you want that to be you, this is the time to become a, as good a business person as you possibly can. Invest in your business. Uh, you know, Double down on the future because if you do, you're going to reap tremendous harvests over the next three to five years because guess what? 80% of the people aren't going to do that and ah. their market share is yours.
1: Well said. All right. Um, Tony, if uh, listeners want to reach out, uh, find out more or, or even in this case, learn about your SIAA, uh, the, the network for which you are the master agent. Um, how can they learn more?
0: Well, two ways or a couple of ways. Uh, one is my personal website is easy. It's Tony Caldwell.net and have a lot of resources there and you can reach out to me there also. Uh, and would love to have people visit and, uh, uh, we also have a, a podcast that's uh, published on that, on that website. Uh, One Agents Alliance operates in the central part of the United States, helping agencies figure out how to do better uh, with what they have and, and, and to grow. Our website is oneagentsalliance.net. And again, there's a lot of resources on that website about things we've talked about today that, you know, whether you're interested in our organization or not, are there just for your free use. Things like, uh, you know, planning tools and things. So we encourage anyone to go there and take a look. Very good. And you can reach me through either one of those websites.
1: Terrific. All right. Well, Tony, uh, it's been a pleasure to reconnect with you and uh, really appreciate you taking time out of your day and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you.
0: Enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Connected Insurance Podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share it with your peers and colleagues. Explore the Connected Insurance family of resources for insurance agents and brokers by visiting agencyrevolution.com and clicking media. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox. New episodes every Wednesday.